Welcome to Gondrepreneur, helping Gondrepreneurs grow and succeed in every sector of the cannabis industry. Gondrepreneur will introduce you to the cannabis pioneers who are paving the way for future generations. Learn about the shifting landscape of the market directly from the experts and get to know some of the leading minds in the industry as they tell their story of struggles and success. Now, CannabisRadio.com presents Gondrepreneur. Hi there, and welcome to the Gondrepreneur.com podcast. I'm your host, Shango Los. The Gondrepreneur.com podcast gives us an opportunity to speak directly to entrepreneurs, cannabis growers, product developers, and cannabis medicine researchers, all focused on making the most of cannabis normalization. As your host, I do my best to bring you original cannabis industry ideas that will ignite your own entrepreneurial spark and give you actionable information to improve your business strategy and improve your health and the health of cannabis patients everywhere. Today's show is a little different. Today we're going to talk about the importance of artisan microproducers in the cannabis market. As Washington, Colorado, Oregon, and California have all seen in varying degrees, one of the downsides of moving from a medical market to a regulated commercial market is an exclusion of small family growers and producers who have pioneered the industry. The exclusion of these growers is a huge missed opportunity for quality products and economic development. Today, my guest is Chris Horn. Chris is founder of the Patient Cannabis Exchange, a cannabis producer's market for medical patients in Tacoma, Washington. He's also the founder of Dabland, an exceptionally good email producer. Welcome to the show, Chris. Hey, Shango. Merry Christmas, brother. Thanks, thanks for being on the show. Happy holidays to you too, man. So, Chris, I wanted to have you on the show because you know you have worked with more micro producers than anyone I have met. Let's start out by asking you to explain the business model for the Patient Cannabis Exchange itself, and then tell us a little bit about the demographic of who your vendors are. Oh, fantastic! Well, Shango, as you know, we we have a farmers market, and when you say farmers market, it's very similar for those out there. Imagine you go to your local corner; you have producers of of local fresh vegetables, artisan crafts, flowers, where we can all partake. So it goes straight, straight from the producer right to the end consumer. Now take that model and let's apply it to cannabis. So instead of bringing turnips, spinach, carrots, we're bringing concentrates, flour, medibles. So we're able to take the, the medical model and I think strip it back to like its bare root essentials. So sure, there's some, some economics in it. But we're able to pair a patient with legitimate medical needs. And I want to stress that. When we talk today, Shango, I'm going to reference to, to real patients, not those that maybe have their authorization and abuse the system, but those that, that really have medical needs, both physical and psychological. So we're pairing them with the actual producers. So we can have that dialogue, which is ultra dynamic that makes, I think, the farmer's markets so, so just electric. Because it's not just come into a local storefront pick up your meds like you would at a pharmacist. You don't have a dialogue really with your pharmacist. He's going to read your labels. He's going to hand you the meds and he's going to say next. Where the farmer's markets were able to talk. So you're, you're able to engage instead of the pharmacist, the actual producer of the medicines you're going to consume. And you've been there. What, what did you think of that? Did you, was it a well, little bit different dynamic for you? Yeah, it's it's really different, actually. You know, I was thinking about how dynamic that is when I go to my farmer's market here on Vashon Island, and I get to talk to about the you know the heirloom carrots and their colors with the producer. They're not we're not just buying generic carrots. I'm buying carrots that they've cared for, that they've you know they've they've ordered heirloom seeds special for, and I can learn about them directly from the farmer. And we actually share the joy 
of that carrot or whatever. Similarly, when I come to the PCE, I'm talking directly to the producers. And if it's flowers, I mean, you can totally feel the pride that they have. And they want to tell you about their how they're organic. And they want to talk about how long their bloom cycle is. If it's concentrates, they want to talk about how clean their meds are. And everybody wants to show you their testing results. And if it's medibles, you know, essentially you're interacting with a bunch of bakers who also want to help patients. And there's a warmth to it that you don't get when you just go to a commercial location. Well, and here's the beauty, and, this, and it's really hard to describe. When I first started the market, it was economics. I saw, okay, each cable had a value. About 30 days in, that value, granted, the market needed to be able to self-sustain, but it was no longer about making the money. Because there is, that is part of what we do. There's an exchange of currency. And we'll talk a little bit more about how that affects the individual vendors. But what it allowed us to do is to continue to, to build bonds and relationships. So my vendors weren't vendors anymore. They, they were my friends. Like Saturday, we had 20 people over it. They weren't 20 family. They weren't 20 people from high school or college. These were 20 people from my market that I wanted to share my holidays with. So it kind of tells you the sense of community and environment. And what I said from day one is I want our Sunday events to be our playhouse. This is where we come to escape, where we walk in that door, nobody's going to judge us for our color, our sexual orientation, our economic status, or most of all, our physical or mental disability or affliction. We walk in there, we're amongst friends, nobody passes judgment. It's just that energy of, you know what, maybe today one I'll have a little bit better of a day. Because cannabis, people want to broad stroke it as a cure-all, it's not. Um, but it can help us improve quality of life and make some significant changes in our health. You know, last last legislative cycle here in Washington, when I was talking with our legislators, I invited them to go down to your market and find out what it's really like because they were all so hot to get rid of medical to protect the commercial market. And you know, I'm friends with I five O two commercial producers too, so I'm not I'm not hating on them. But I wanted the inclusion of these other producers, and I said, you know, just come on down to the market and meet these folks because they kept on talking about them as criminals. And I'm like, these aren't criminals; these are families; these are artists. These are people who are passionate. And of course, I don't know of any of them that actually ever came, but, but I don't think people understand how family-oriented, safe, and gentle the environment is there because it's truly made for patients. We've been really lucky. One of my wife and I's focus when we started the market, and I want to give a huge shout-out to my wife. Love you, baby. Without you, it wouldn't have happened. Because it takes a lot of balls to go out there and something that's in a gray area where there is no definable law that says, yes, this is legal, or no, this isn't. We pushed the envelope, we brought the market together, because here's what we found. The common misconception about all of us that, that grow flour or produce, that you know, we grow weeds so we're rich. You know, they saw an episode of weeds, what they don't understand is, I've never worked harder than I have gardening. Now, it's some of the most enjoyable work I've ever done, but those plants are so reliant on their caretaker to make the meds, the quality that we see on a day-in, day-out basis in the medical community without the quote-unquote state-regulated testing is off the charts. Because what you alluded to earlier, everybody wants to tell you about their product. There is so much pride because they're not doing it on a commercial scale. They're doing it on enough to provide for themselves and the surplus that they can pay forward. So the amount of attention, it's like if you drop your kids off at daycare or do you stay home and both parents raise them on a daily basis. That's kind of the analogy I use. The baby that stays home with the parents are going to get that much more attention. Not that the, the child with daycare is not going to be good, but that TLC and that energy. And there's so much more to it than just 
putting some you know, some fertilizer in the ground and growing big productive plants. So, Chris, why don't you give us a little bit? I mean, you don't not to use the names of your vendors because I know you respect their privacy, but just give me like maybe two or three examples of what a vendor is like at the market. Who brings products to the market? I'll give you a couple different examples. One's going to be your classic 1960s hippie. Her and her partner have been been producing, I would say, medicine. They haven't, granted, they've been growing weed, but they've been looking at it on a medical side way before the, the concept of medical had ever been coined. Ways to, you know, to enlighten, ways to, to help the day-to-day grind, where it wasn't just about getting high and listening to rock and roll. They were looking for ways back in the 60s and 70s, and well, how do we improve our quality of life? Now, that's transcended 40 years forward, and those same ideas are being passed forward with the refinement of the new processing, taking the concentrates and being able to make that much more in-tuned medicine to their patients where they're able to, to determine the milligram volume that the patient's con- consuming so they can get a consistent medicine. And then, Shango, we have the patients. Um, we deal, and I, I'm talking about legitimate patients. We have so many that are fixed income. Imagine trying to make your rent, make your food payments, and provide alternative meds anywhere from $900 to $1,200 a month. Absolutely amazing what these people have to endure because you don't have a prescription. You don't have a $15 copay to go to a local pharmacy and just get your med. So the farmer's market allows them to cut out the middleman and maximize their dollar on a fixed income. And that's really who we try to or strive to, to address with our different vendor types. It would seem that a lot of these patients who are producing their own meds and then they've gotten really good at it, that it makes a lot of sense to have them be a vendor because they're educated, they're passionate, and this extra money that they make from being a vendor at their, your market can make, be the difference of whether or not they make rent or not. Make rent and, you know, it's kind of like that, that whole stripper thing. I've got vendors and I'm one of them. I'm helping put my kids through college based off of what do I do in cannabis. <laughs> Yeah, you you laugh, but oh yeah, I strip for college. Well, I grow weed for my kids' college. Well, if anything, this is probably a little a little more safe than that. But but yeah, I think your point is well made. That even though it's a taboo industry and other people may have judgments, when it comes down to quality of life and and making your basic bills so your family can subsist, sometimes doing what is taboo is is the best thing that you can do for your family. So hey, we need to take a short break. We'll be right back. You are listening to the Gontrepreneur.com podcast. After a short message from the sponsors who made this show possible, Gontrepreneur will return. Gondrepreneur.com, your guide to the cannabis business world. Gondrepreneur.com is a comprehensive resource for cannabis professionals and entrepreneurs. Download the Gondrepreneur app on your smartphone or tablet to catch up on cannabis industry news, scroll through our daily job listings, and learn about successful cannabis companies, executives, and investors. Gondrepreneur.com, helping Gondrepreneurs grow. The next generation of vaporizers has arrived. Vuber vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry flower pens. Providing unsurpassed customer service and expert craftsmanship, Vuber vaporizers use cutting-edge technology, providing a power-packed, smoother vapor with a lifetime guarantee. Experience vaporizing the way it was meant to be, the Vuber way. From high atop Mount Soldad in San Diego, California, 100 feet above sea level. Good morning. It's good news with cannabis nurse Heather. 
this plant is amazing. Positive change is happening. We did it. No matter who you are, you can make a positive impact on the world. I would rather be illegally alive than legally dead. And that quote helped to give you strength. Nurse Heather is only on CannabisRadio.com. Good morning, Cannabis Nurse Heather. We're back to help Gondrepreneurs grow. You're listening to Gondrepreneur only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back. You are listening to the Gontrepreneur.com podcast. I am your host, Shangolos. And our guest this week is Chris Horan, founder of the Patient Cannabis Exchange and Dabland. So before the break, we were talking about subsistence level families growing cannabis and making concentrates and edibles so that they can make the bare minimum that their family needs to survive. And, you know, there are certainly lots of different flavors. You know, we've got prohibition era growers who are trying to go legit. We've got patients who are homebound who can finally use what they've learned to benefit other patients. Do you see that many of these micro producers who come to these markets are at this subsistence level? Or do you see that more of them are formulating business plans and jumping in to just, you know, crush the market and make all of the money? Well, sadly, Shango, these are grassroots gardeners. They don't have the economy of scale that some of your recreational producers have. So unfortunately, they don't have the luxury of investing in the best equipment for the most highest efficiency. They sacrifice a little bit of that to make the best meds possible for their own consumption and and to get to those in their circle. So to say that anybody is getting rich, no, but you are able to subsidize income at the cost of a lot of time and energy, love and passion. You do not do this to get rich. It is true. You've got to love it, especially in today's environment. So, you know, we talked with a lot of these independent producers when the commercial laws were getting passed. Of course, they all wanted to be included because it's how they've been making their money and and they're pioneers of the industry. But the state puts up all these bureaucratic hurdles that demand enormous cash or they don't reply because the people who are emailing them or calling them don't really share the same education or cultural backgrounds as the people in enforcement. And I'm sure that you've had to offer a lot of emotional support to these producers as they realize that the new commercial market is not going to have a place for them. And their choice is either to shut down operations and give up the money that's helping their family survive or go back into the black market and be you know, potentially a criminal again, which is a really bad decision to make. Tell me a little bit about what it's like for you kind of as a mentor in the market to give feedback to these people who are being pushed out and have to make this choice. Well, from day one, we wanted to be a small business incubator where the opportunities that I had gotten in previous businesses and also in the cannabis industry were passed forward to to other families because it does have an economic impact. But what we've had is from day one, I've said, hey, we know laws are changing. Change is coming. Is everybody prepared? What are you doing? Tried to get everybody to kind of do that. Hey, let's all get the dialogue going. The dialogue didn't get going. What we found is a lot of them that, that weren't capitalized because there, there is a cost of entry and it's prohibitive unless you've planned for it. What we found is, you know, they're going through and like, all right, um, what am I going to do? Well, I, I look at my checkbook. I can make my mortgage this month, but I can't go ahead and invest, the, you know, the 50, 100, 150, 200,000 to legally do what I've been doing for the last 15 years. So there started to become an apathetic mindset. It's like, all right, I came from the black market. I'll go back to the black market. Thank you, 502. You just bumped my prices. I'll make more money doing it illegally in the black, not even in the gray, straight to the black market like I was. And again, I'll become a criminal, but I don't care. This is what I know. This is what I do. And I need the money to sustain my family. 
It's a shame, too, because so many of these folks were the pioneers. You know, they put themselves on the line while it was a gray area. And now that we voted to make it legal, suddenly they're being left behind, which is, you know, a real drag. You know, and I think it's important to point out that this is not just about buying meds from these folks as charities. Some folks have the assumption that this is, you know, lower grade processing than commercial producers. And in some cases, you know, you may run into, for example, edibles being made in a home kitchen. And, you know, I agree that they should be done in licensed kitchens or, or create a licensed kitchen on your property. And some folks, you know, in the medical market, there tends to be more BHO in that market because CO2 machines cost, you know, $200,000 to buy. But but overall, the quality of the meds that are in the market are exceptionally high. And you know, as the guy who runs the market, what are your standards and what do you see as far as like skill sets and producing an end product which is safe and quality for the patients? Well, real quick, I'm gonna I'm gonna backtrack on you, Shango. Just because somebody has a commercial kitchen does not mean it's a clean commercial kitchen. Mm-hmm. You and I grew up with our moms cooking in regular kitchens. We didn't die. So yes, amazing meds are able to be produced in in the average kitchen. Now, these people are all required to have food handlers cards. And again, the vendors that we choose to bring in our market, we're vetted. We're very fortunate that we have people come to us on a weekly basis, try to get in. So it's not first come, first serve. It's who's going to be the best fit for our market. So when we go through and vet them, we want obviously health food cards, you're processing food. There are guidelines, concentrates that we bring in. We do have PPM requirements. I don't care about THC levels. What I do care about is if, you, if you're claiming CBD, that it indeed has test results to back that up. So there is a lot of self-regulation. That was one of the big things the House and Senate said, oh, well, they aren't regulated. You know, it's just this wild, wild west environment. Well, those of us that care, truly care about patients, not the guys, hey, I got some butter. I'm going to make some cookies. I'm going to get five bucks a piece. No, that's not the demographic we're going after or the vendor type. These are people that typically have their own afflictions and because of their own pain are very empathetic to others and producing the best products. I think what you're illustrating there is the middle ground that is almost always missed by legislators, which is the patient medical market does have less professional players in it. That's true. But if you just gave a gentle amount of regulation, you would be able to include all of these pioneering producers instead of adding this like huge amount of regulation that adds all of this cost, which then excludes all of them. And the only people that you can have involved are corporate interests. And I think that's important because everybody is so afraid of cannabis that they're over-regulating and excluding this, these folks. Well, and here's the thing. There's more of them than there are legal producers. There always will be. And the sound thing is that vast knowledge base, that experience base, you and I have seen it. How many 502ers have had the, the wallet, the financial backing? They go in, bang, I'm going to be a 502 producer. I'm going to make the best meds, best product, blah, blah, blah. And 18 months later, they're looking for another round of investments because they haven't found that lightning in the bottle they just assume was there because they're going to do weed. These producers, these processes, and I'm sorry, I'm getting a little bit excited because what, what's not given enough credit is how much work these people do, the love, the attention to detail, because again, they're empathetic because most of them are actual patients, not, hey, I'm Johnny, I'm going to go to work today, I'm going to produce some meds. No, he's going to produce another commodity just like a guy at Boeing stamping a regular part. There is a very distinct difference in quality. I think that a lot of the medical growers 
are really proud of the quality of it as well. Just like an artisan wine producer, I have sat with many of my clients when they've been weighing their margins against the quality. And for a lot of them, it's a toss-up. Whereas whenever I've sat with my medical clients, it's always about, okay, well, I understand that this is going to cost a little bit of my margin, but it's going to be an increase of safety and maybe product experience for the patient. And then they're going to turn that way. And, you know, obviously we're making vast generalizations, right? There's a lot of people in the 502 market and in other states doing commercial who have got a lot of heart in their product. And I'm not oh. saying everybody. All I'm saying is that we should include these artisans because losing their production memory and having it just drift away is something that we're really losing as a society. Without question. Don't, and you're right. I know some fantastic people that are transitioning from medical and taking their same ideology to rack. Fantastic. They were lucky enough to have the resources to do it. And here's the sad thing. The small vendors that we see today in the market that are so good and they've come so far to come out of the shadows into the open to where they can actually connect and help pass on that information, that knowledge and that experience. They're now going to be shoved back in the closet and their stepchild instead of like the, the ancestral heroes that made it all possible. That's what this community is having a hard time with right now, Shango. We had an amazing market on Sunday, but talking to them, it's like they, they don't even care what we did or what we've done for them. And they're just going to make us go away. They feel so disenfranchised. It's like, no, you don't understand. We just want to keep helping people. These people aren't rich and driving, you know, Escalades and Mercedes. These are the entrepreneurial spirit of America. So they aren't selling, you know, picks and, and shovels for the gold rush. They're providing medicine in a, in a pharmaceutical area that wants to shove poison down you before they want to actually diagnose and cure you. Well said. We need to take a short break. We'll be right back. You are listening to the Gontrepreneur.com podcast. After a short message from the sponsors who made this show possible, Gontrepreneur will return. Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. Hi, I'm Montel Williams. Most of you know me as a talk show host, but I'm also an author, actor, single father of four, avid snowboarder, and I'm also a medical marijuana patient. Living with multiple sclerosis, I'm in pain every day. Medical marijuana is my last resort, and it helps me when all other drugs have failed. If you'd like more information about medical marijuana, you can contact the Marijuana Policy Project at mpp.org or call 1-877-JOIN-MPP. Growing green to generate more green. Hello to all you happy herbalizers, smiling, trippy hippies, and everyone who believes in freedom and tolerance. This is The Grow Show, and I'm Kyle Cushman. From food to fuel, from remedy to resource. Welcome my guest, Ed Rosenthal, the guru of ganja. Let me ask you, right now I hear your lighter clicking. Are you smoking indoor, or are you smoking sun-grown? What am I smoking? I'm smoking concentrate. <laughs> Way to get out of the answer there. So you're truly like the, the, the king, right? You just have you just clap your hands and somebody brings you a bowl and you're all set, right? Mm, I wish that were the case. <laughs> 
The Grow Show with Kyle Cushman, only on CannabisRadio.com. We're back to help Gondrepreneurs grow. You're listening to Gondrepreneur, only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back. You are listening to the Gondrepreneur.com podcast. I'm your host, Shango Lowe. And our guest this week is Chris Horn, founder of the Patient Cannabis Exchange and Dabland. So before the break, we were talking about the importance of including heritage growers and producers in the commercial market. We were talking about even though they only small uh, produce small artisan amounts, that they do it with such passion and they do it for themselves economically, that these are not people that we want to exclude and destroy. The, the potential economic growth that we could get from keeping money coming into these families instead of just one singular large commercial company. So we were talking about how to actually involve them in the state market, Chris. And you know, you've put together quite a few, you know, regulations, if you will, for your market, which actually get rid of a lot of the problems that we see at the state level. What would you recommend as a couple regulations that we could use at the state level, which would open the door for local artisan producers? Well, what I would like to see is if we're going to be medical patients, we're going to use cannabis as medicine. I want to see the relationship between your primary care physician that's authorizing you to use cannabis. I want that relationship to determine what your limits are for how much you grow, how much you need for personal reserve, because they're the only ones. HIPAA laws don't allow the state to make that determination because they don't have the data because we don't disclose it. So really common sense, just like we would how much oxy do you take? How much ibuprofen do you need to take? How many antibiotics do you take? Let your doctor determine that. Don't let the state, the cannabis control board do that. They aren't medical professionals. Well, that's really great. That actually takes the state out of the equation totally. And you know, I was thinking about as you were giving your answer, you know, even though you can do things like you recommended early in their show, like making sure edibles people have their food handling permits and encourage organic growth and testing, but also being able to activate the patients so that their voice is heard at the state level, that is key and that's something that we totally failed on in Washington. Nobody was fighting for the patients and the heritage growers. It was all of the new money coming in to build commercial grows and then a bunch of patients who, you know, who were who were home and sick or, or couldn't get up early enough to get to the legislature or when they got there, you know, they look all bedraggled because they may or may not have, you know, the income to have you know the kind of clothes that they that the other lobbyists would have it's really hard to activate patients and subsistence level artisans who while they may make a fantastic product that it was well wanted on the market they don't look the role down at the state capitol did you find anything there at the PCE that was successful in helping organize and motivate patients the passionate ones were there. The passionate ones did the right things. They, they contacted their legislators. They made the phone calls. They sent the emails. They went and they attended sessions. The problem is there's a lot of apathy in our community. And I, I want to I speak to those that are out there listening in other communities that potentially might be going medical or legal. Make sure, make sure that you're driving forces about the patients, that you look at the mistakes that other states have made and then apply them to yourselves. Because at least now you have information. We didn't have that going forward. But today... So now, Shango, what do we do? Here we are. We have to make a correction in Washington State because medical has essentially been eliminated. What I want them to do is I want them to reach out, start a dialogue, not just on cannabis, but start a dialogue with your local legislators and senators because they are going to listen to people that they recognize. It doesn't matter what you wear. If you treat them with respect, you communicate with them, build that dialogue, humanize who you are more so than we have in the past, 
that's how we start to change laws and educate your children, letting them know the next generation is going to be the medicine. Break the stereotypes of Cheech and Chong. Let's rock and roll, baby. Let's make this medicine. You know, that's a really good point. Interacting with your legislators early is a way for them to become familiar with you ahead of time. And those of you who are in states that are approaching normalization, you've really got to get an early start because, you know, grassroots takes more time than just astroturfing and throwing money and having a lobbyist make your role. If you want to have a seat at the table, you have to get activated early. So Chris, that's about all we have time for today. Thank you so much for being on the show and sharing your stories of important micro-producers and, and why they are valuable for the economy. Well, Shango, thank you for everything. And people, get out there, try something new. Get outside the box. We only live once. Just because your doctor has a degree does not make him a healthcare professional. And tell your legislatures about economic revitalization of the rural areas and not just about patients' rights. Make sure Amen. you give them, both, give them both, both a heart and an economic reason to include you in commercial cannabis. You can find out more about Chris Horn and the Patient Cannabis Exchange on Facebook at Facebook forward slash PCE420. You can also check out his exceptionally well-made and colorful emails, including their Star Wars line at www.dab.land. You can find more episodes of the Gontrepreneur podcast in the podcast section at Gontrepreneur.com. You can also find us on the Cannabis Radio website and in the Apple iTunes store. On the Gontrepreneur.com website, you will find the latest cannabis news, product reviews, and cannabis jobs updated daily, along with transcriptions of this podcast. You can also download the Gontrepreneur.com app in iTunes and Google Play. You can now find this show on the iHeartRadio Network app, bringing Gontrepreneur to 60 million mobile devices. Do you have a company that wants to reach our national audience of cannabis enthusiasts? Email grow at gontrepreneur.com to find out how. Thanks, as always, to Brasco for producing our show. I'm your host, Shango Lose. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.